everyone, and welcome to episode 38 of Project Studio Tea Break. I am Mike Senior, and I'm here with a man who has quite literally been buried in his work this month. It is John Witten! <laughs> Oh, goodness Now, you have to explain, because you you sent me some pictures of what you've been up to this month, Mm -hmm. and it looked like there was no question that you'd earned your tea break. (laughs) I want more details about how this comes. Well, so, yes. Gosh, where to start? (laughs) I... With the being buried bit? With the being buried bit. That sounds sounds like a good plan. So, I was in a forest Mm. or an artist residency with some lovely hippies who wanted to make a show about mushrooms. Okay. So, yeah, we needed to find a way to represent mycelium, this incredible underground network which I could ah. geek out about for a while. Okay, yeah. And, you know, some people would have gone for a metaphor mm. or mm. Um, abstract imagery. A diagram. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of these things that I should have just thought before I opened my mouth. <laughs> if I did that, I wouldn't podcast. So I said, you know, why don't we just kind of bury me in the ground yeah, and I'll yeah. do the monologue from there. And it was such an easy sentence to say. Mm. Like, and then our our wonderful production team went down and I was learning my lines and they called me when they were ready. And I, mm. I went down to what looked like the location for a, a mob killing. There was a shallow <laughs> grave. <laughs> the director of photography and a production assistant there looking kind of <laughs> like they might be ready to kill me for making them stand outside in the yeah. rain digging a hole. And then, then I, I kind of just lay down in it. Mm. They put slugs and worms on top of me oh. to add to the realism. <laughs> do you think it was like, well, we don't really need to do this, but wouldn't it be fun? <laughs> but he did make us go out in the rain and dig a hole in the forest. <laughs> so I was covered in those. Mm. And then there was a, a ladder, a, like an A-frame ladder that they kind of straddled my torso mm. with. Um, I was topless at the time because mushrooms don't wear clothes, I guess. Well, of course, yeah. Um, And then onto the A-frame ladder, they kind of taped the camera Mm. and then asked me to act natural. (laughs) (laughs) I half-submerged in the dirt. Well, I mean, you you were organic at that point. I was fully organic. I was zero food miles. So in that that respect, it is natural in in the most (laughs) gastronomic sense. You were foraged. It helped me connect to kind of the the mycelium, the mushroom, Mm. because something I've realised about them, which I wouldn't have realised through a metaphor, is that they must be bloody cold. (laughs) Dirt is cold. What I love about beds is that you can kind of give them some of your heat and then they warm up and you're just kind of fine. Yeah. I failed to warm up the earth, so after about three takes, I couldn't get all the words out because my teeth were chattering too. Oh, wow! (laughs) Crumbs, that is proper cold. It was horrible, but we got a proper production team who's not going to be held back by that sort of thing. The the reason we stopped when we stopped is that my lips had gone too blue and it would have been difficult to cut between my first takes and the later takes. You were colour balance proof. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So for that aesthetic reason, I was sent to have a very long, very hot shower. So um, I'm a brave hero. I can see. And that's why I buried myself in the dirt and pretended to be a mushroom. So you've certainly earned your tea break this month. 100% earned my tea break this month. How about you? Is this this earned? Well, I mean, I'd say so. I mean, I managed to give my entire mailing list the clap. I mean, I managed to give my entire mailing list my hand clap samples. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to say that to see the expression on your face. And you see, the thing is, normally... I wouldn't have had immediate feedback. You wouldn't have had the immediate gratification. Gag had landed, but it is a a historic occasion today because we are sat 
well, a mere metre and a half away from each other. <laughs> For the very first time, we have Prodigy Dirty Break recorded in the same room. It's strange and upsetting. It is weird. There is a perspex shield between us, mm. nominally for sound separation, but mm. for me, it's kind of the last vestige of a comfort blanket that was kind of social separation. Mm. Like, um, <laughs> it puts you a little bit in a cage, mm-hmm. and I'm all right with that. Yeah, it feels more like a screen. We, you know, we're having to stop ourselves from pinch zooming. We've got little mirrors on so we can see ourselves at the same time. There you go. I've got a keyboard not connected to anything just in front of me to make me feel a little yeah, more yeah. at home. But it is also a historic occasion because oh, yeah. we can now mm. pick up that gauntlet that Alex flung down. We can. And throw it right back in his face. We can make a silly noise of going while we wibble his nose back and forth. <laughs> We can do the full Karate Kid Is this, is this your tweak. victory dance? Okay, sure. <laughs> you lost me for a second there, but I'm back. We're excited to announce our new trailer. Mm-hmm. Roll it. In a world with various problems, one socially conscious woman spoke to our collective spirit of pandemic-era survival and dared to sing. A woman who became a legend. Rebecca. Summer 2021. Now, do you want to be clear that <laughs> it's a slight misnomer saying he threw the gauntlet at us. We threw it at ourselves, <laughs> let it sort of just land on the floor discarded. We were pre-gauntleted. Yeah, and then what Alex did was point out that there was a gauntlet on the ground mm-hmm. that we'd thrown at our own faces mm. um, and then just sort of ignored on the ground. And then felt that we were duty-bound to abide by our own flung gauntlet. Yes, <laughs> to, to slap ourselves with it again or something yeah. <laughs> while shouting Alex's name. So did you have fun doing it? Did I you, absolutely did you... had yeah, fun doing it. It sounded like you had fun doing it. And in fact, actually, there is more to this trailer. It has oh, yeah. A visual component. Oh yes, that is specially on our patrons feed. So if you want to see the visual element of this epic trailer, then do sign up at uh, Patreon.com/slash Project Studio Tea Break, where there are all our usual fun extras. We're discussing Liquid Death's second album. Oh my! Riding rough shot over David Wilcox and asking if there's anything that gongs can't solve. Wait, wait a minute! Riding rough shot over no. <laughs> I I love your irreverent <laughs> summaries. To be clear, I would never ride roughshod no, over no. David Wilcox. We discuss the atrocity that is others. Others riding roughshod, riding roughshod over David, over David yeah. Wilcox, which yeah. is a surprisingly yeah. difficult phrase to say. <laughs> or at least in any kind of PG-rated way, without Errol kind of coming in. Errol also, by the way, credited in the trailer. Yes, uh, absolutely. viewers will note. It was surprisingly challenging to do the voiceover too. It's got to be said. See, Mike provided the kind of deep, growly James Earl Jones voice. And it oh, it's, sounds... It's Don LaFontaine. I mean, he's he's the guy. <laughs> I mean, he was the voice of God. He was the guy who did all the trailers. For those of you familiar with Mike's regular kind of mm, watery, mm, reedy mm. tenor, sort of a... <laughs> Thanks, John. <laughs> strangled choir boy after too much caffeine. You, you, know, you may yeah. be surprised to hear that the, the, the yeah. voice you just heard in the trailer is Mike's. What studio magic did you employ? The funny thing is... 
most of it wasn't studio magic at all. It was just trying to work out how the hell to <laughs> do that kind of performance. Right. And the, in fact, I got a few tips, though. I, I did need a few tips because <laughs> it is a certain way of performing it. And unless mm. you see someone doing it, it doesn't quite make sense how you do it. Oh, and so what I do is, have you ever seen the Honest Trailers series on YouTube? Yes. They're one of my favourite things. Absolutely fantastic. But the guy who does the voice for the Honest Trailers mm. has, uh, you can actually get him to do stuff for you. <gasps> There's a site called Cameo.com where lots of actors and musicians and singers and personalities, mm. you can get them to record birthday messages mm. or answer phone messages. And he's on there. And he has some examples where you can see him doing the performance that he's recorded. And you only realise then that it's really important that you keep your nostrils really widely flared to get that kind of airy, kind of rumbly thing on, on all the, the consonants and stuff. And also that you really overemphasize the mouth motions. And you see him do it and you go, oh, okay, that's how you go, in a world. You know, <laughs> that's it's, so good. Because the thing that makes the older work is coming through your nose, I think. To any of our listeners who, upon hearing that description of the, the, the facial anatomy of a trailer voiceover artist, started imitating it to the point of looking like a articulating warthog or something, <laughs> know that I'm right with you. I was in the room <laughs> with my... He can attest that I just... You kind of twist everything up and do what you can. Um, but that's so cool. All the consonants and stuff have to kind of be extended. And also, I re quickly realised that like N's and M's and L's, all, all these voiced consonants, mm. you really have to work hard to keep voicing them. Because if you go, a woman, and you have to go, mm, to get the, the kind of end of the, end of the voice. Um, one woman. Yeah, you see, you're getting there. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. And you really have to chew all the syllables to make it work. And it also finally makes sense that no one in movies uses this voice. <laughs> well, the only person who does a little bit is Batman. Where I was going to say Batman! <laughs> where, and he's got a costume design so Although, you can't see his nose. It looks silly. You, it sounds great and it looks very silly. If you then do it that way mm. and then you really compress the low frequencies uh -huh. and boost them so you get them the whole time... Mm -hmm. And you do a fair bit of compression elsewhere and kind of boost the high mids. Mm. You get that You get tone. the trailer voice. That's so But cool. except, the, my, like you say, my voice is too high. And so the only thing I did do was bring it did down Did you pitch tone. shift the whole thing? You can't do it too far, though, or the formats go unnatural. But if you had told me that it wasn't, I would have been able yeah, to believe it. Yeah, that's why I thought I wanted like to get a, on that boundary yeah, you, of believability. Right in the uncanny valley of, <laughs> of vocal production. But it was quite a lot of fun trying to do it and make it work. It took quite a lot of takes. Mm. You don't realise how difficult it is to sustain that kind of rumbly, airy sound through all the syllables. Particularly, the what was it? In our post-pandemic, whatever. <laughs> that line was so long, it took me bloody ages to get it right. <laughs> and you really can't inhale as that character, no, I, I don't no. think. Like, there's, there's... Breaths are febulten. In our post-pandemic... No, it just kills the rhythm, the drive, the momentum of it, yeah, which yeah. is which is everything with this yeah, yeah. NASCAR engine of a, um, <laughs> of a voice. So, in your face, Alex. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Alex, take that. <laughs> 
It's a good thing, John, that you've been communing with nature this month. Oh, yeah. Because I think then you will be able to join me fully in appreciating the glory of some of Mother Nature's creations. That's such a fair, true, positive, almost anodyne statement. <laughs> Whenever you start there, I get justifiably <laughs> horrified about, about what abomination you're, you're gently leading up to. But, but yes, well, sure. Yeah, because for our news this month, I would like to talk about spiderwebs. Okay, again, right? I mean, they are incredible things. Spiderweb is meant to be, per thickness, as strong as steel or stronger than steel. I, I've heard this, yeah. Different spiders use them in different ways. I mean, obviously, you know your usual little circular web thing, mm-hmm. but they, they do these amazing three-dimensional ones. In fact, those are more common. Oh, right. I didn't know that. Yeah, and there are some of them who actually capture air bubbles underwater and live aquatically. Oh, my word. But still just breathing the air that yep, they brought yep, down they, in And they, their and they take little cage. bubbles down with them <gasps> to keep restocking the thing and underwater. Scuba diving. They actually live That's underwater. so cool. There are other ones that let strings of web into the breeze and balloon with them. They fly to a new territory. So sort of paragliding, I guess? Like creating this this passive totally. parachute that gets caught yep. in the wind. Yep, and they balloon from place to place so they spread out and find new territories. That's amazing. And we also know that spiderwebs naturally transmit vibrations. Oh, wait, okay. I've, I've <laughs> gone from politely interested to... <laughs> So hooked right now. And, of course, that means that scientists with nothing better to do have been asking the same question that I'm sure you're asking yourself now, which is, how does a spiderweb sound? Not where I was going, but I'm into this. (laughs) And this has, of course, been something that has been researched. And by no lesser scientist than Marcus Bueller, Mm -hmm. professor of engineering at MIT. Who else? He has computer modelled these very, very complex three-dimensional cobweb structures. They've actually laser scanned them and rebuilt them in the computer. Stunning. And then they've decided to try and turn that data into sound. Into sound. Now, just to give you a quote, this is um, uh, Marcus Bueller himself. Okay. Spiders communicate largely through vibrations. They find mates that way. They find prey, the location of the prey. Mm. So it's a very natural way for us to feel and become a little bit like a spider. To experience the world as a spider does in this universe of vibrations. So now let me play one of these sonifications. Okay. So spiders are into modular synthesis, is what I'm is what I'm getting out of this. Yeah, I mean, what were you kind of expecting? To be totally honest, I already had my scepticism hat on a little bit. <laughs> All right. Because what I was missing from the description of the experiment was what they put in. Mm. You know, this sounds like a, a funky plate reverb, basically. That you're pushing sound in one mm. end and seeing how the medium transforms it. Yeah, I mean, they made a lot of comparisons when they were talking about it to it being some kind of a complex harp. Right, sure, mm. but something has to play it, yeah? Yes. So without knowing what was the input, I don't know how interesting I find that output. Yeah. If you imagine your 3D model, if you imagine mm. like a cube mm. in which this cobweb has been built, the way they generated that sound file was that they moved a horizontal plane 
through that cube, mm. and whenever they met one of the points in the model where the threads met, mm -hmm. depending on where it was along one one of the other axes, they'd give it a pitch. Mm -hmm. Then depending on how long the threads were connected to that node would be how long the note was. Mm -hmm. and how many uh, connections it had mm. was how loud it would be. Right, yes. Okay, I'm doing my upset face now. It's irresponsible. <laughs> it, this yeah. is, sorry, Errol, this is bullshit. Yes. As you say, how does this in any way relate to the experience of a spider? Do we think that they climb up it very slowly? Thinking, in in a planar form? Yeah, in a planar form and say, <laughs> the web over there is pitch. The web over here is volume. Okay, so there's two different ways of approaching this. Yeah. One which I love, one which I hate. Mm. The one that I hate is exemplified by this, but mm. also by a composer I knew who transformed all the letters in a love letter, all the, all the written letters, <laughs> into numbers, assigned each of those numbers a pitch. Yeah and then just fed that into a MIDI sequencer and claimed that this had the same, you know, it was all the same information, so it was a love letter yeah. in sound. And obviously it sounded like random yeah, notes yeah, yeah, yeah. being played fast. It's awful. Yeah. At the other end, there is someone who I will find and will be in our newsletter who played the New York subway. And this was fun. They, they completely okay. simulated the map of all the trains going around through mm, a day and obviously mm, kind mm. of sped it up so you could watch them moving. Then, anytime a train went past another line, mm. it would pluck that line like okay. it were a string. And the length of that line would be its pitch, yes. again, like, like it were a string. And that's not claiming to tell you anything deep about the New York subway station, yeah. but they quantized it to a nice scale. It was kind of cool. It was fun yeah. to see. And as a music generation tool yeah. without any deeper meaning to yeah. it. Sure. And actually, to be fair to Marcus Bueller and his team, they have kind of made this point. In fact, he's he's collaborated with some uh, like music artists in Berlin, funnily enough, who, of course, <laughs> Gosh, really? like, all, like all great ideas. Um, and they talk about it being just a new way of creating instruments that we've not been able to access before. If you think of the spiderweb as just being an instrument mm. and that you can play it in different ways. And that is a totally respectable aim, but they have failed. Like, the sound that you played me, it's, it's weird. Yeah. Sure. But, like, there are random number generators online. I mean, that relates to some of the comments on the YouTube video. Yeah. Check these out. This becomes a 56k dial-up modem at 051. Right. <laughs> when you enter a haunted house in Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, that hits deep. Okay, yeah. Still better than modern rap music. <laughs> oh, God. Hi, Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> this made my chihuahua freak out. <laughs> but my very favourite comment was... Even the spider plays better than me. <laughs> oh, you just oh. want to go and give them a, a socially distanced hug. <laughs> like they've they've been having a hard lockdown. That, that they, they have. That's that's been that's a tricky one. But that's not the only sonification they have. They also have a sonification of them pulling a spider web apart, slowly stretching it. So slowly you hear strands begin to break and the things stretch. There's these these pads in the background, these almost mm -hmm. shepherd tone. Yes. I mean, the first example I played, the pitch didn't have anything to do with the tension or length of the threads. But in this case, each of the model threads have a note assigned to it. And as they stretch and the tension increases, that pitch increases. And that then the little blinky sounds are the sounds of each individual thing breaking as it gets beyond a certain point. But what I, what I would just so much rather hear mm. is a very powerful microphone 
directed at some web, which is pulled apart. Which is pulled apart. I mean, also, it's like, what is it we're hearing is, again, the question that comes to mind. It's yeah. like, in what situation would all the strands in a spider web be vibrating continuously? Even if you were imagining some kind of an Aeolian harp, the wind mm-hmm. blowing across a spider web. Mm-hmm. We CPSTB know number yeah, 12 I was going to say, we know from the Golden Gate Bridgeolian Harp Joe episode <laughs> that the tones wouldn't all respond equally, even no. if it were a constant speed wind. No. And the wind wouldn't be constant speed. So you get different tones fading in and out, depending on what happened to resonate with the, the bow of, the, mm-hmm. of, of, the, the, of wind. the wind going across it. And of course, certain ones would be parallel to the direction of the wind. And, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yep. So you would never, ever be in a situation where all the tones would be sounding as consistently as that, also while they were being stretched. Mm-hmm. And also, the sound of the strings breaking is the same every time. It's like a typewriter. Yeah. It's unnatural and it's unreal. I mean, it, it's a funky sound, but why does it need to have anything to do with spiders or spider Yes, web? I love the idea that sonic interpretations of a computer model of a web that mm. looks like a tangled mass could reveal something about the internal order, which visually is inaccessible to us. Yeah. But none of that's this. Yeah. I have another example, though, and this is a little bit more promising because there they've actually tried to simulate the sound of a spider moving through the model web using, you know, when when you've got the individual uh, lengths of strand, Mm. they all have their own tuning according to their tension and their length. They then try to make it a little bit more like something going through, exciting the vibrations as it moves through the web. Let's have a listen. Okay. Yeah, again, it's it's a fine noise. And if you put that in a big surround system and Mm. actually mapped it to also the position of the quote-unquote spider, it could be cool enough to listen to. But it's, I don't know, any attempt to try and paint that as as an illustration Mm -hmm. or something to do with a web feels disingenuous because the synth sound, the kind of FM synth Mm. sound they've chosen, there's nothing to do with strings, even if we are Mm. taking these as analogues of of strings. Yeah, it leaves me very cold. But what it didn't do is it didn't make you question whether this was actually one of their audio examples. <laughs> <laughs> Less than no mic. I this, would I just, have bet every penny I owned that this was the third of their audio. Oh, well done. I just jobbed this up on a minisynth. <laughs> well done, sir. Can we, can we hear it one more time, please? <laughs> You know what? I was I was trying to treat it with so much care and reverence, but now like, with the image of you just like whacking your mini people. Of course it is. In a way, that bears more relationship to what I would expect a spider moving as with a tourist spider web to sound like. Yeah. If you think about the idea of it being a massive harp with something crawling along it. <laughs> yes. And anything they produced. Yeah, that's a closer analogue to... But like you say, the real problem here is not the concept of generating sound from a spiderweb model. Because mm. that in itself is a compositional tool. Sounds sure. The thing that's wrong is this stuff, right? This is from an interview on the MIT site, their kind of MIT news channel. Yeah. Here's Marcus Spuler again, right? <laughs> 
One of the things we're trying to do is use artificial intelligence to learn the language of spiders and basically have a little chat and, and hopefully attracting the spiders to come to us and play with us and perhaps jam together. Our big vision oh. is that we're going to have a concert with the spider on stage, plug in the web and us plugging in as well and hopefully realising a sort of jam session down the I, road. I never want to do research or play music <laughs> with this man. It's grade A horse it's grade A horse I, And he's just leaning into it. This is so upsetting. I mean, to be fair, the, the most advanced thing they've done mm. is they've got the model in VR mm -hmm. and you can navigate through the model. Fun. And as you do, it picks up the strands that it can see within a certain radius mm. that you can set. And then as you navigate through the web structure, mm. it then plays these different tones. But again, they're consistent tones. It's like, well, why are they all sounding consistently at once? I mean, okay, it's a fun thing to just generate sound with. This is the whole point. It's a, it's a fun synthesizer engine, but tells us absolutely f all about spiders and connects us in absolutely f all ways to spiders. I can't imagine it being an instrument in any fun, interesting way either, because it's all of the threads that it can see. Hmm. How long would you have to practice on that to have any intentionality mm. in the sound that comes out? I mean, you know, there are great instruments which you can't play Mary Had a Little Lamb on. There's yeah. more complicated instruments. But if I can't convey any emotion, any dynamic, any intention I have mm. through an instrument, mm. it's a random noise generator. Yes. One of the things that really disappoints me, actually, mm. is that a number of press institutions have just swallowed the whole thing, hook, line and sinker. And just gone, oh, the sound of spiderwebs. And I have not seen anyone going, this is bullshit. And it also looks like he's a repeat offender. Oh, yeah. He's done similar things right. like, to this, but using the structure of amino acids. Here's him in another article on the MIT news site. Mm. The tones and their relationships are based on the actual vibrational frequencies of each amino acid molecule itself, computed using theories from quantum chemistry. Mm -hmm. And he's created this app. Yeah. And you can play amino acids on a synth. Great. Amino so acid good. synth. I'll just bring it up, see whether I can get it to make some noise. Right. <clears throat> Here we go. Oh, so it's a ring modulator. Right? I mean, that's... I've kind of felt that it was basically someone going off-piste on a DX7. <laughs> it's, all, it's those few people who braved going beyond the presets on the DX7 right. ended up mostly with those kinds of mostly sounds. Mostly with those noises. And what he's saying is, oh, well, you know, you can play the amino acids in as music. Mm. And then you can create new amino acid molecules in this way. Oh, Christ. And I think, well, yeah, I could encode amino acids onto strands of uncooked spaghetti. I could cook them, throw them at the wall, <laughs> and then encode those new things. There's nothing about music that makes this any more revealing. He then says, oh, well, you know, but then we could play that music to artificial intelligence. I mean, the moment the AI comes in, you go, bullshit alert! Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could blockchain My it. bullshit radar's gone off. It's like, it's the get out. It's like, mm -hmm. well, we may not be able to understand what earthly use this f***ing stuff is, <laughs> but, you know, if we put it into AI, maybe they'll work it out. Now, I'm not an AI expert, but, oh, God, okay. If you have a number set, a detailed number mm -hmm. set, and you want an AI to work with it, nothing I know says to me the way to do that is to first make it a one-dimensional voltage oscillation or, you know, music, mm. and then give it to the... No, you, you surely just give, give it, it the number... These really <laughs> well-organised, well-categorised numbers that you've got. You could plug those in rather than a one-dimensional voltage oscillation. Yeah, yeah. The question I think I would have for him... Yeah. How does this sentence finish? This is the sound amino acids make when you... Like, and honestly, if he could put 
anything at the end of that sentence. I will engage so hard with that app. If his answer, though, is when you record a bunch of data and numbers, give those numbers to my mate who's got a modular, mm. and then publish the MP3s he sent me back. It's kind of like that. It's basically just parameter assignment is what it is. Right. It's taking any parameter in the natural world and going, oh, we can stick that on a MIDI note. Which, a MIDI modulator. Again, it's not, I mean, a, a musician we both know and, and love is currently working on, on a project where volcano data, live volcano oh, data, wow, cool. is being used as an input to a modular. And hopefully that's going to be a, a, a live cool. thing around an active volcano. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Just don't tell me I'm listening to the volcano. Yes. Yes. It's just another way of creating music, and it's fun, and it's contextual, and, yeah. and that's really cool. Okay, so if you were a publicity-hungry researcher... I'm so angry. <laughs> ...who was pretty certain that the world's media would swallow any old tosh he came out with as long as he couched it in enough pseudoscience and the fact that he's a, an engineering professor at MIT. Yeah. In the current climate, if he could sonify anything blockchain close close second oh covid bingo oh neat well done you he made, you help made the coronavirus even less fun for me <laughs> <laughs> it's not been much fun for me already oh here he is in another interview on the mit news site mit what have, what have you done what have you become <laughs> We represented the physical protein structure with its entangled chains as interwoven melodies that form a multi-layered composition. The resulting piece is a form of counterpoint music in which notes are played against notes. Wait for it. This <laughs> is the bit. I need to know more about this revolutionary style of music where <laughs> notes are played against notes. Wait a minute. And you definitely don't want to take a sip of tea before I read this sentence. Like a symphony, the musical patterns reflect the proteins intersecting geometry realised by materialising the DNA wait. code. What? <laughs> That's basically the, and here's the smokescreen so any jobbing journalist doesn't look any further. I so want to get this guy on for an interview and just say, okay, great. Like, symphony, that's a word that I've got an understanding of. Both a specific style, but also you could say it like broad, more broadly group music. Fine. Materialize. Please define. As, as a science communicator and educator, yes. great. Materialize, please. Just like, what? What? You, let's give you the benefit of the doubt and say you're saying something here. Let's find out what the hell it is you're saying. <laughs> Well, you see, he doesn't need to speak through the medium oh, of words. You've, you've got it, haven't you? Is this, is this COVID? Here's a, here's a short um, little uh, highlights reel I've created from these almost two hours he sonification. He must have tenure. All right. My afternoon with my GM synth. <laughs> it's basically what it is. Now, here's another bit from the same interview. And brilliantly, the interviewer does actually ask, what did you learn? And it elicits this 24-carat gold mm. response from Marcus Bueller. The virus has an uncanny ability to deceive and exploit the host for its own multiplication. 
As you listen, you may be surprised by the pleasant, even relaxing tone of the music, but it tricks the ear in the same way the virus tricks ourselves. <laughs> it's an invader disguised as a friendly visitor. Through music, we can see the SARS-CoV-2 spike from a new angle and appreciate the urgent need to learn the language of proteins. <laughs> oh, I worked so hard to give you the benefit of the doubt. What are you doing? What are you? And, and it's more than just idiocy. It's harmful because yes. if you played me something and said, this is the sound of a spider's web, and I had said, ah, I'm calling bullshit. That sounds like a FM synth that you've had 10 minutes to try and get to know. And you said, no, no, no. This is from Professor of Engineering at MIT. I would shut up. Yes. And I would say, oh, no, it is. He might reply, oh, well, no one who really knows what they're talking about would be misled by this. It's just a bit of fun. But actually, you look on the YouTube video. Yeah. And you know the first example I played with yeah. that Z playing thing? Mm. Only one person even queried the methodology. But yeah. a whole, like, 80 people commented saying, basically swallowing the line that yeah. this was the sound of spiderwebs. Of course people swallow it. And this is absolutely no um, condemnation on people who swallow this hook, line, and sinker. I would not need to go very far away from my one narrow area of expertise. Mm. If this was a dance project mm. instead of a music, and you said that it represented this, I would have no choice but to believe you, because I don't know. Mm. And you are in a position of authority. What's interesting about it as well is that it's not just people who know nothing about it who seemed to have swallowed this or agreed that this was worth going with. Yeah. And he wasn't even a sole operator. He was working in a team. Didn't no one in the team go, hang on a minute. <laughs> My bullshit detectors just exploded. But I'm glad that the interviewer took him seriously because what a limited world we would live in if any time an expert at a world-leading institution told you something <laughs> that sounded counterintuitive, he said, nah, it's bullshit. Yes. This is why it's so damaging, because people should listen to and take you seriously. Yes. And if you are speaking with authority on music, mm. say, then they should assume that you've done your research. I can't fact check every single thing I hear. Yes. But it's also exploiting this disconnect between the actual research and what the actual research means, mm. and then him trying to make it into a news story and playing into the hands of the press who already will take a single study that means almost nothing on its own in scientific terms yeah. and try and extrapolate it into some big news story. Yes. You know? uh, and that is irresponsible. And, and the thing is that it's irresponsible for the media to do that. But to see the scientists themselves playing into that and actually Promoting doing it that. as a kind of a self-aggrandizement thing. There was one interview that I saw him do it and it looked like he was just finding it all really funny. And it was almost like a little private joke. It felt like that. And yeah. I don't know whether it was just the look on his face that made me want to punch him or, or, the, or, the, or, the, or the, the content. Professor Bueller, our beef with you is that we feel like you are promoting ignorance and misinformation. The last thing I would want is for us to mm. be guilty of that exact same thing. What are we missing? Mm. Yeah, what have we got wrong? What have we misread, misinterpreted about your research or the about way... about the exact things you said there. I can't imagine that you see yourself and your work the way that we see it, the way mm. that we are describing it. So what have we got wrong? Educate us. I promise if you write a reply or, touch wood, agree to come on for a conversation, <laughs> we will give you as much space. As much rope. As <laughs> Mike, I'm being nice. <laughs> Honestly, like I would so much rather be wrong mm. about this. Because if I'm right, it's really disgusting mm. what's happened. And, and the effect is, you know, there are worse things in the world, but, but it's bad. Mm. So I hope you will let me know why I'm wrong. Please, <laughs> please get in touch.
Oh, I feel dirty. <laughs> and not in the fun way. <laughs> and not because you've just been buried pretending to be a fungus. <laughs> just no, I, I, felt, I felt virginal after that compared to listening to this. So as Mike mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I've just come back from a a three-week artist residency in the countryside. And for those of you who have real jobs, you may not know what an artist residency (laughs) actually actually entails. So basically, it's in this case a theatre company, but but really any group of 'er ne'er-do-wells convince somebody to give them funding for some chunk of time to go off and try to figure out what the hell they're going to do. Mm. Especially in R&D, a research and development residency. You arrive with nothing and you hope to leave with a show or like the, the mm. seeds of a show. Mm. And um, the funding body gets some kind of producing credit off the back of that. But it's hard to overstate <laughs> the openness of the remit. <laughs> One arrives to <laughs> this sort of thing with... It's no fixed portfolio. No fixed portfolio, no fixed direction. So there we are, day one, sitting around the kitchen table in this lovely kind of converted farmhouse. And... We know we want to make an immersive theatre show about mushrooms. Mm. So the first hour is actually whether we're, it's about or inspired by. <laughs> and then, you know, the, the best bits of these events are always where you're just trying stuff and filming stuff. And we realise quite quickly that we're not going to be able to do a, a showing because it wouldn't be COVID mm. compliant. Mm. So we're filming. That's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're filming little bits of things, mm. uh, which is really fun because it means that we don't have to get everyone we want to perform together at the same time. We can just have them in dribs and drabs. Yeah. We only need to get something right once mm-hmm. so long as the cameras are on. Mm-hmm. So that's really exciting. And that's what we do for the three weeks. We work on material and then we film it and we invite performers who we like to come down and play with us mm. and a costume designer, great costume designer who made us like mushroomy flowing robes. And one person I was really excited to come down was this just brilliant drummer called Andy Young. And we talked to her. Does about... he specialise in mushroom drumming? Um, she, she doesn't yet. Oh, she, sorry. Sorry, no, not at all. Um, she specialises in everything. One of these frustrating people. Ah. Um, the we, mo- we... Dis- dis- distressingly multi talented. Distressingly multi talented. Unfairly. Unreasonably? Mm. Unjustifiably. We, we brought her down originally to be a saxophone soloist. But then, <laughs> kind of, we're like, well, we need to, we need to, well, I was thinking, I, I need to do drumming with her if she's coming down. Mm, mm, mm. And th- there's this structure already on site this sort of wooden, very tall tent structure. Kind of a witch's hat, teepee yeah, style exactly, thing. exactly, exactly, mm. that sort of thing. Uh, and all of the covering is gone, but the, the wooden structure is still relatively strong. Um, <laughs> and so I agreed with Andy that we should do some sort of synchronised drum line thing, like a okay. marching band drum, because okay. that's one of the things Andy is so good at, and I, I just I love doing drum line yeah. stuff with people. So you know that if synchronisation needed to be done and you were not able to do it, the slack would be taken up. 100%. (laughs) And he could cover for me, which, you know, it turns out was useful. Now, part of the reason I went for this is that I love having something to work towards, something Mm. really Mm. concrete to work on. And so every morning I was in our rehearsal space on a pad with my rudiments open in front of me and a metronome. And All I right. was just drilling my snare and we, we picked this piece that we were going to play together and, you know, round and round and round again and playing it at, I think I started at one third speed mm. and then increasing the BPM by two points. It's nerd stuff, but it's really good. Yeah. And just yeah. gradually feeling like all of the weird 
flimble flambles and wingle wangles that one has to do on, <laughs> on drumline stuff um, becoming more intuitive and more bouncy and, and tighter mm. and also for, for the same reason we put this on the last day of filming oh, okay so I you'd was, have a good old run up to practice your rudiments she of course mm. turned up having not looked at the music mm. yet but gave it a quick once over before we went mm. to play and I was, I was ready poised <laughs> <laughs> this is a lesson. Well, I was about to say which I've learned before, but I clearly didn't learn. It. <laughs> you had the opportunity to learn before. <laughs> I've been offered the opportunity before. It was windy that day. As I've already said, we were to perform this clambered up on this wooden structure. Yeah. I'd got to the space before, I knew I could stand there, but it turns out that when a large chunk of my focus needs to be on not falling three meters yeah. to the ground, my drumming suffers <laughs> considerably. <laughs> and when the wind is swaying the structure, this oh, already wow. arguably safe structure, I, oh God, my, I was awful. I was just <laughs> terrible. And we slowed it down and she was very patient. And this was all the worse because we'd also got a bunch of dancers who we were doing other stuff with. Oh, but they, so this was a whole no. setup. And I, for some reason, I spent a while figuring out how to record the sound on this, how to like hide the mics from the cameras yeah, and, yeah. and stuff. But this rehearsal room, by the way, was gorgeous, heated floor. So oh, that was right. where I practiced each day. Right. Hadn't occurred to me to get into costume, which again, flowing yes. in the way, heavy, yes. and just climb up on the thing and actually play. If I had, I would have been much better prepared, but I hadn't. So I was <laughs> in my least favourite position in the world, which is unable to deliver yes artistically yeah. that's always uncomfortable yes it's it's almost even worse you know if you if you were unable to deliver and the people said you know what to be honest that was rubbish fuck off out of here <laughs> we're going to do it without you and work around it but when they're really nice and they try oh. and make it work and you can kind of see yourself that it's not going to work yep. and they're trying to make it work because they're being nice to you and yep. uh, oh it's yep. oh yeah yeah, and they did, and you know the dancers were all really sweet, but they were dancing off of our music cues. Yeah. And the thing is, one of the reasons I was excited to bring this face palm is that a lot of <laughs> if the you time, could ever be excited if, about a face you could palm. ever be excited about is that I remember when you first pitched this. Mm. Part of the pitch was being honest about when things go wrong, when things yeah. don't work yeah. out, and. A lot of the time, in the end, they kind of do. Yes. Because that makes for a satisfying story. This time it didn't. No. It no, just... this time it didn't because, yep. you know, we, we worked around it as best we could. We moved us onto the ground and did some real close-ups because I could play it when I was comfortable and yeah. on the ground. Yeah. The director of photography, thankfully, was, was a mm. genius. We did some really far distant shots, so it's kind of less clear. Mm. And we did some movement shots, which had Andy more in frame than I did. Yeah. And I'm, I'm going to have a hell of a job mixing the audio. Yeah. For this yeah. video but ultimately i didn't fix it i didn't get to a point where i could deliver the piece i was booked to yeah. play yeah in yeah. the way i had been booked to play it and that sucked that yeah. really sucked but yeah. i'm still here yeah <laughs> kind of licking your wounds licking about wounds. to do the audio editing penance about, yes, there you go. <laughs> that feels nice to have an atonement process It's that time of the podcast where <laughs> we delve into something that really floats our boat, mm. that, that tickles our pickle, that 
<laughs> wow. Gemini and Phoebus. Have we, have we gone that blue that quickly before? I think normally those kind of slips are when we're halfway in and getting sleepy, but sure. I mean, I was sure. thinking about condiments. What did you have in mind, John? Condiments as well, sure. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but uh, given that it is the What Is Your Jam segment, mm -hmm. we need, of course, a crispy mm. slice of toast. Not bad. <laughs> Straight up, not bad. Now, us sharing You're a looking room. remarkably relaxed under the circumstances. <laughs> well, I will say, this is easily the most rock and roll foley, <laughs> possibly goth foley we've had I don't in know, a while. yeah. It could be a bit, wouldn't it? But yeah, I'm sure that is a sound that horror movie buffs will immediately know. Recognise, yes. Like an old friend. But I, I've got to say, like, the bread is a little... A little textulous for my liking. Like mm. It doesn't sound like there's many seeds in there. Possibly mm. not wholemeal. Overprocessed. Yeah, yeah. It's a sliced white, but a totally valid. Very precisely sliced white. Very precisely sliced. <laughs> like, what was the sound maker just there? It was too, to be fair, too vintage tape-cutting razor blades. Oh, I yeah. thought those were straight razors. No, 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 they're, they're the ones that they have one edge that's covered in a metal covering, so okay. only one edge is sharp. And these are the razor blades I used to use to cut two-inch tape. That's amazing. And I've just had them sitting in a jar for Museum forever Museum pieces. Well, thank God that so you did. Are. Thank mm -hmm. God you held on to them. <laughs> Uh, otherwise, what would we have done? And so indicative of our razor-sharp podcasting oh, skills. Oh, there it is. There it is. That's <laughs> why they needed to go. On we are to yes. my, my jam to top this well-buttered toast. I thought I knew what I was bringing today. Mm. I decided about a week ago. And then yesterday, I thought, well, as well as kind of knowing what song I'm bringing, I should, you know, get a bit of information around it. Mm. So um, I started digging. And kept digging. <laughs> and oh my god, like the song's still great, but what's around it is just so rich and glorious. Mm. The song is Cucurucucu Paloma. It's a sort of Mexican standard, if you like. It's an incredibly covered song. It was written in 1954 by Tomás Méndez um, for a film. And the original recording is by Pedro Infante. And it shows the depth of my ignorance of so much of the world's music that, despite this being a, a almost hackneyed <laughs> standard of the Mexican music canon, that it had entirely passed me by. It's, it's Autumn Leaves. It's mm. um, Walk This Way. It's very, very played and, and replayed. Mm. What's interesting, we're going to spend no time on the original. It's Golden Age of Hollywood. Oh, right. Yeah, Pedro Infante is, is a great crooner who's done some really wonderful songs. This, he kind of phones it in. The oh, rhythm, right. which will come relevant later, is just a straight waltz. Right, There's soaring right. strings. It's Hollywood Mexican, even. It's oh, right. My favourite movement in any kind of old ballet or something mm. is when they go to the Orient or something. <laughs> and I'd be reading in the programme that the composer here, you know, wanted to create a strange new world. And it Using always... all the same old cliches. <laughs> it always sounded to me exactly the same as the orchestral piece that had preceded it. Just yes. Maybe there was like a, a antique gong halfway through. There was just an augmented second in there and just, that was it. Just in the otherwise very pastoral normal melody. Yeah, yeah. And there'd be like an elephant on the stage or something. Yes. Um, being unhappily puppeted by a couple of ballet dancers. And so that's kind of the effect here. It's golden age of Hollywood music hmm. with some mariachi winks. Or yes. Something, which is odd in itself because the style of the song, it's a wapango song. Okay. Um, this like is, I know what that means. As we, as we all know. 
So wapango is a dance music form, normally in six or twelve, normally played by a huasteco trio, which is to say it very wrongly, it's two guitars and a violin. It's a kind of smaller guitar nylon strung, a bigger guitar nylon strung. It's sounding a bit like a meal deal at Nando's. <laughs> <laughs> Start a main course and dessert. <laughs> Exactly, more or less. Tiny guitar, big guitar, violin. I'll shut up. People sing, they sing in falsetto, and they stamp counter rhythms with their feet. Now, Mm. if I'm talking about a dance form, guitar-led, vocals-led, with counter rhythms stamped by feet, especially knowing Mexico's colonial connection to Spain, there might be another genre starting to come to mind. Okay, yes. Okay, this sounds a lot like flamenco. Yeah. Which is already a mix of European... Arabic and North African musics in the most incredible, gorgeous way. Um, yeah, and takes yeah. the best from all the above and is probably the best genre oh, objectively. Wow, cool. So this has links to that. It has mm, similarities, mm. doubtless, but it actually predates oh. any Hispanic arrival to Mexico. Wow. Which is huge. The the Huastec people mm. were renowned throughout Mesoamerica pre-Hispanically as musicians. Yeah. They were musicians and they were dancers and this is that world of music. Now, when I say it's in six and I say it's in twelve, these are irregular groupings mm. and they're often with what I've heard you call a one drop. Yeah. The f- downbeat is infuriatingly <laughs> unaccented absent. by... Absent. Absent, yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll be marked by the shape of the melody, but all the instruments will just look the other way and be like, no, one, <laughs> sorry, one. No, I'm yeah. excited about this three and. Yeah. Like that, that's what yeah. I'm here for. So that's Wapango music. That's the alleged style of this song. But what's interesting, in the 1954 original, none of that's there. Mm. There's no cross or even slightly perturbed rhythm. It's mm. a waltz. It's Kentucky Fried. It's Kentucky Fried. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, it is. What's amazing and what's wonderful, though, is that in cover after cover after cover of this song, it's been reclaimed. And it's been re-brought into that folk music version. One reviewer called the original folk kitsch, which I think is is beautifully put. (laughs) But it's been played now by Huasteco trios and by flamenco guitarists. And it's, wow, it's amazing. So what's it about? It starts with a man crying at the grave of his beloved. We arrive mm. after after this death and he's keeping his neighbours awake all night with his crying. And we hit the chorus and it, and it is his cry. And the song has a clear hook. There's a really high note right at the end of the chorus, high, long-held mm. note. And this is like a cry of anguish in this first chorus. Then we see a little dove, a little pigeon, mm. who is cuckooing. Yeah. And the singer says, well, surely this is the soul of his right. lost beloved. Come to tell him, don't cry anymore. And then we get to the chorus again. And instead of this cry of pain, it's a cuckoo Mm. And it's exactly the same tune, but here the dove is saying, you know, you don't need to cry. It's going to be okay. Mm. And so that top note just takes on a totally different meaning. It's normally flipped into falsetto and just floated. Ah, it's goosebumpy. It's Mm. such excellent poetry. Mm. You should go listen to this song and you should listen to a bunch of versions Mm. because they all bring different stuff. What was the name of that band in the Grammys that we really disagreed about? And the question was whether it had done what Punch Brothers had done in bringing all these different... Was it the Sierra Hull one? Yes, thank you. Yes, yeah. 25 trips. So a Sylvia Perez Cruz cover of this song Mm. does what they tried so hard to do. Oh, right, right. And failed. It's a great place to start. It's a great intro too. I still Mm. love it. It's what I was going to bring as my jam. Yeah. And it's a guitar and a banjo. 
there is no intellectual reason to mm. put a banjo on this mm. song. And honestly, mm. if, if I heard it suggested, it sounds gimmicky and rubbish. It's really got no connection to mm. Mexico. Mm. Or Mexican music, no real connection to Spain or Spanish music. Yeah. But what you have is just a really great sensitive banjo player mm. with a really great sensitive guitarist making gorgeous music together. Yeah. Cannot recommend this one enough. Start there, fall in love with the tune. I mean, you, you yeah. heard this song yeah. this morning. Yeah, what was yeah. your what was your impression? The vocal performances, in fact, all of these versions, the vocal performances just are bewitching mm. everyone. Because you can kind of sense that it means so much to the singer. Mm. And they're all just such good singers. <laughs> But I mean, the thing is that I, to a certain extent, for me, you've buried the lead. There's the bit that really <laughs> is the killer bit. It kind of goes beyond that. Because the thing is, it starts you off in a little bit of a false sense of security. You mm -hmm. go, this is just a really great song mm -hmm. by really fabulous musicians. And then. <laughs> and then. So Silvia Perez-Cruz kind of lets go the fact that this is a dance music, that Wapango is a dance music. It's quite a soft rendition. But even in this version, you'll want to tap your feet, but you won't be able to. <laughs> <laughs> because it is deceptively rhythmically weird. Is that a better word than rhythmically weird? I would say weird? rhythmically uninterpretable. You know, you want to try and make sense of it and it resists your attempts to make sense of it. It absolutely does. And the ones where I have got a handle on the timeline they're using, as you said, what makes it so impossible is all the musicians know this timescale so well that they're not singing metronomically to it. Mm. They're very early or very late because expression. Yes. And so if you don't have the timeline playing in your head, yeah. you are hopeless. Yes. To compare it to the um, uninterpretable spider music that we've heard, <laughs> it's such a catchy tune. You will come away singing it, yes, but with no idea where the one is. Yes, um, that is so disconcerting. Yeah. It's almost like you're listening to a salsa track and then someone takes out all the percussion. <laughs> And you feel like you're missing the click track they had. Mm -hmm. And without the click track, you're, you're just adrift. Completely adrift and at sea. Yeah. And yet, I think that you haven't stressed this point enough. <laughs> there was one of these versions where just a fabulous female singer starts singing this. And she's clearly treating the beat as a starting point from which to <sighs> interpret. She's syncopating. She's pulling the beat back and forwards. Mm. But it's a beat that you don't know quite where it is. <laughs> And already you're thinking, oh my God, how does she know where the beat is strongly enough and has she internalised yes. it enough that she can play around with it this fluidly? Yes. As you'd expect someone to do in, I don't know, a, a jazz track where you can hear that there's a, mm -hmm. a walking bass or something. There's you know, something holding that <laughs> And pace. then the thing that blew my mind completely was another vocalist joins in, yes. harmonises perfectly with her, mm -hmm. pulls the beat in the same way she's doing it. It's very speechy in the way it's rhythm, it's vocal so rhythms. So there must be some system here or yeah. two people couldn't do it. I know. It's like seeing a puppet show where you can't see the strings yep. and asking yourself, how are these puppets moving themselves? And just the contrast between a casual listen to this where I don't think I would necessarily notice there was anything odd yes. about the rhythm. It's like a big broad river that looks very slow moving but the minute you dip your toe in the minute you even just think where's the one? Yes. You're lost to this world. Yeah. There's, there's nothing you I mean do. I almost wonder about whether this is a little bit of a specialist case that different people will experience in different ways that to me it's a wonderful but disconcerting experience. I find myself a little bit unable to concentrate on the music mm. because of the need to feel like I understand it. Mm. And it, it's interesting because this whole argument of 
whether musical theory or a knowledge of the internal structure of music or anything like that makes the listening experience less satisfying, Hmm. almost always I would answer, no, actually, it informs and increases and enriches the listening Mm -hmm. experience, knowing something about what's going on. And this might be the very first example I can think (laughs) of where I think maybe it has interfered with my appreciation of the music Mm. because I still haven't had the chance to like get my notepad out and work out the rhythm and, and find out where I should be putting the one so that I can actually get into the same position the performers are mm. to appreciate their navigation around it. And yet, it categorically doesn't need that you have that understanding for it to work. For appreciation, no. Yeah. And no. so my musical education is interfering with my ability to enjoy this music. And this possibly for the first time ever. And really, I'm only just realising this now. No, you, you're right, because, you know, to drag out my already tortured metaphor... <laughs> <laughs> the big be- if you just sit next to the river and look at it, it's beautiful. It's yeah. lovely. It's only when you try and get some of it. Yes. I was on, on the train this morning being like, uh, a one, two. No, no. A one, two. No. Or that, that horrible thing where I'm just so swept away that I totally lose the idea of strict rhythm when I'm counting. One, two, three, four, five, <laughs> six. One, two. Um, you sound like the, the Sesame Street. One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> yeah, <seven>. exactly. <laughs> Exactly, the learning to count stuff. But the richness that comes from finally understanding Mm. that that really quiet bit is the one, because suddenly you can see some of the games that the guitarists Mm. are playing Mm. around this shared assumption of a stress pattern. Just takes it from like a smorgasbord of sounds, which are independently rhythmic but don't build up to anything larger, Mm. to, yeah, a real understanding. I I should say, I think that there are ways besides my natural instinct of, of, you know, counting it. Yeah. To get this, like, if you just listen to that song 50 times because you like it... You'll begin to get the idea of the stress pattern you'll intuitively. So that is my jam this month. I would say it's almost a marmalade. It is so <laughs> It's a rich chunky and involved. marmalade. <laughs> Which brings us, sad as it may seem, mm. to the close of another glorious episode of... Historic. Historic, uh, monumental... Um, This is actually the very, very last episode before our interview with that MIT guy, right? (laughs) Right, MIT guy? Yeah, I'm sure you've listened this far. Time only remains for us to offer a huge thank to our sponsor. And this is a sponsor I'm particularly excited about because this exact problem we've been talking about in Jam of how the hell to get into this kind of music. Mm -hmm, If mm -hmm. I want to learn to play along with this kind of thing, it's just, it's almost impossible Mm. because of these missing downbeats. And so... (laughs) No, no, Mike, no. (laughs) From no beat technologies, we now have... A special practice aid that you can use while you're learning to play all these off mm-hmm. It is a silent kick drum pedal that you can use to play the one. <laughs> oh, I actually quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So that you can get used to it being there without sounding. Mm. Okay, I'm quite into that. Now, of course, this is a this is an uh, evolution from their previous deadbeat technology. Um <laughs> But while that one was, I don't think they'd mind me saying, just a kick drum pedal without a kick drum and mm. left, the, left the thing flapping about. Yeah. Here they, they, they've actually put something in the way to give you a satisfying but silent mm. thunk. Is, is, that, is that the case? Well, no, it's, it's designed to be completely silent. So you're not, right. you're not misled. Okay. It's acoustically treated even. Okay, I was, I was mm. worried that you'd actually be putting in a thump at the beginning. No, this no, is... no, no, no. I mean, they'll be undermining the whole point of, of the no-beat technology. <laughs> right. Patent it. So, so it kind of just kind of glides through a, a 
sort mm. of mesh of feathers. Yeah, yeah. I can't th- thank you so much for your support. <laughs> I can't think of many things more physically frustrating than a kick drum pedal <laughs> passing that through. That doesn't a, deliver. A mesh of feathers. That would just be, oh, I feel gross. <laughs> just that. You won't, though. You'll feel great and you'll be really good at playing um, baobab music and, mm. and uh, wapanga and flamenco and all, all these kind of missing one genres. Uh, uh, gamelan, you'll be jamming along in no time. Thank you so very much for your support. And if you, like No Beat Technologies, would like to support the fine investigative journalism we do, um, <laughs> you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash project studio tea break. We would love to see you there. Do we have a Facebook? We do, in fact, have a Facebook. We have a Facebook at facebook.com forward slash PSTB books. Any other questions? <laughs> I, I don't know. Do we frequent any other social media outlets? It happens that we have a Twitter. Tell us about it, John. Yeah, uh, twitter.com forward slash PSTB tweets. And look, while we're on it, we have um, two TikTok accounts, which have been inactive for a while. <laughs> for a while. After John soundly lost the <laughs> followers competition. It's still a bit bitter about that. And if you want to tell us about any other social media platforms you feel we should be on, you can email us at tbreak at projectstudiotbreak.com. Thank you so much for listening. Lovely we- having you in our very own murder booth. In our shared space, looking <laughs> at each other. Not able to tab over onto some flash game we've got uh, running simultaneously. <laughs> it's quite remarkable. <laughs> Ta-ra! Ta-ra, pets. Ta-ra!